Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. NACIO's give back partner at our annual conference is an incredible organization called iUrban Team. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with its founder, Dina Puro. Aside from being a well-known entrepreneur who has been recognized by the White House for her work, Dina is also a diversity strategist, talent acquisition professional, and international keynote speaker. Today, we are excited to talk with her and learn more about the important work that iUrban Teen is doing in the Seattle area and around the world. Dina, welcome to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us. I am so glad to be here and for the invite. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. And it was wonderful to to meet with you in Seattle. And our first question is, you know, being fresh off of the annual conference, how was your first NACIO conference experience? I was totally blown away. I felt, you know, and this is the truth. I felt so welcomed. I felt the energy in the room. You know, I felt supported. I, it's one of those organizations, and there's a few organizations that I say, okay, I got to I gotta be a part of this. This is an organization that I really feel that I need to be a part of this, mm. you know, of the energy, the support and everything. I, I'm really, I'm still excited about, about that conference. We would love to have more of your involvement with the association. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, why you started iUrban Teen, and then just briefly explain to our listeners who maybe aren't familiar what your organization does in a nutshell? Oh, okay, great. Gladly describe that. You know, my background is public sector. I was with the city of Portland for 16, almost 17 years, mm-hmm. and then also with the city of Seattle. And then a commissioner here in the state of Washington on Governor Gregoire's Commission on African American Affairs, which leads into the why for iUrban Teen. You know, I think for me, I've always been that bridge builder. I've always been that one that would try to create fairness for everyone. You know, not just one group, but for everyone. It's mm-hmm. really important for me. And when I was a commissioner here, all of our ethnic commissions were looking at the equity gap, the educational equity gap, especially for male youth of color. And since I'm more of an entrepreneur mindset, we always want to try to create something to fix a gap. And so I focused on that and worked in my community, which was Southwest Washington, to try to ensure that our families, black and brown families, knew about certain educational opportunities like the Running Start program. Then I was asked to participate on a chief information officer council in Portland. And when I went to the very first meeting, it was a room full of white men. I was it for diversity. And as soon as I sat down, Matt, I started thinking, okay, so we have these youth over here that are being marginalized, disenfranchised, and that clearly don't have a pathway to opportunities. But here in this room is where the opportunities are. So how do I bridge this divide? So six months later, I launched iUrban Teen with the help of some of those men in the room who are still, most of them are still tethered to iUrban Teen and support us after all of these years. And this is actually our 10th year anniversary. And I knew that when we had the very first summit, we had to keep going because we all saw something magical happen. You know, when you start seeing that spark happening in their eyes, in the students' eyes, where you've really piqued an interest for them, then that's when you know you have to keep going. Right. You've done something right. Mm-hmm. 
That's incredible. I I love that you had this inspiration. And then just six months later, you had something happening. And I think a lot of us see these things and mull it over for a couple of years before we actually (laughs) move on it. So that that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, But can you walk us through the typical curriculum or experience, whatever you might call it for someone enrolled in the iUrban Teen program? Well, you know what we do, and I am, I am a true visionary. Um, even though I'm not really, I've never been what I call a techie, but I'm a great visionary. So all of our programs that we have in, in iUrban Teen, it's a lot of them, are things that I conceptualized. Then I worked with technologists to help build them out. So our students first, our new students first entry point to us are, was through our STEM summits that we have in every city. That's one day of six concurrent workshops, all STEM centered. It's fast paced, it's edgy, it's fun, it's hands-on and engaging for them because I know that I have to grab them quickly and, and create that spark. And so that's their first entry point. Then we have our other programs, our STEM tours, where we take students to different companies such as Nintendo, Google, Microsoft, Nike, et cetera, so that they can see that day-to-day world of those folks that work in those spaces. Then we have our six to eight week after school programs, which include our coding programs, our cybersecurity, our IMAP program, which is GIS mapping and data analytics attached to a research topic, our iWrite program, where they're learning creative writing, technical writing, screenwriting, you know, all those different elements under writing. We also have our um, build program which is advanced manufacturing and supply chain. We have our iEngineer program, which is a pathway into engineering, such as civil mechanical engineering. Gosh, and then we also have, we have another program that's called iFinance that gives them experience, exposes them to worlds, the world of finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. And so we have so many different uh, points that they can of entry for them and ways to keep them engaged all year round. Oh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think any organization, ours included, obviously, has been immune to the changes brought on by COVID-19. How have you and your team at iUrban Teen had to adjust and adapt to the program due programs, I should say, after what you just described, due to the ongoing pandemic? Well, you know, I, you know what, it was such an opportunity for us. And I always have this, this saying that, you know, there's always opportunities in the midst of a dilemma. Now, the dilemma for us was that every event or session that we have is live in person. I never wanted anything online because we're kind of old school, new school, meaning we're new school, we're bringing them the latest education and in, in, in technology, but old school that I wanted them to be together, sit together, learn together in a group collaborative and help with their social skills. So when the pandemic hit and all of our programs and, and events were being canceled, I had to think quickly about moving to an online platform. So within two weeks, we had an online website up and we had four or five different online classes for them to take. And then that just built and built and built. So we had at one point like 32 or 33 different online classes. And that even opened the door for us to have students from London, Tanzania, mm-hmm. Brazil, Korea, India, all over the world. Yeah. A part of the Iurban Teen family, virtual family. So we decided to now since things have kind of lightened up a little bit, we started having more live events. 
of course, we're, we think of safety first with everything. And now we're also continuing with some of the online courses as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I remember you talking uh, at the conference about how you really seized upon that opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, to expand the network because of COVID. And I think, you know, all the successful organizations and associations out there that have really thrived during the pandemic were quick to adapt and take advantage of the opportunities presented by this remote world that we're still kind of living in. So from our perspective, Dina, at at NASIO, we certainly see government struggling with an inability to pay competitive salaries compared to the private sector. We're also seeing a litany of retirements. How have you encouraged public service to IRBIN teen grads? And I know that's especially near and dear to your heart, given your your background in the public sector. Well, you know, a dear friend of mine who's the CIO for King County you know, we talked last year about setting up some mentor-mentee type of programming for our students to learn more about public sector careers and work. And I am also right in the middle of creating a, what we call our iCivics program. Mm-hmm. And that is getting our students involved uh, civically with city, county, state, federal, you know, national government. Because my background is public sector for many years. And public sector actually can pay very well. It really can. And it is what I call a safe environment for growth. You can Mm -hmm. move up within, and that's what I share with the students, you can move up within the public sector ranks. Plus, if you are have an entrepreneurial mindset, you can always bring some, some new innovation into what public sector is doing. Because I think you can agree with me that there's a difference between public and private sector. Things sure. move a whole lot faster in the private sector. Yeah. When I was at, when I was especially at the city of Portland, I knew when I came from the private sector, I knew that I didn't want to lose that edge of being in from the private sector. So I made sure that I stayed in contact and build a network of a variety of private sector companies that we Mm -hmm. would brainstorm together. For instance, I created the employee resource groups at the city of Portland back in the early 2000s, but I partnered with Portland General Electric and with another organization to make that happen, to partner to see what they were doing, how they were doing it, and I brought that to the city. You know, so a lot of things that I created on the diversity front were things that I've learned from the private sector, and they were willing to let me bring that there as well. And that's a perfect segue into to my next question, which is, I know you have done some tremendous work around diversity and equity as well. How have you worked with both the private sector and the public sector to emphasize the importance of hiring a more diverse and inclusive workforce? Well, you know, there were so many things that I created while at the city of Portland and at the city of Seattle. One of them was, I mentioned the employee resource groups that Mm -hmm. I created there. I also really expanded upon and created a very impressive diversity council there at the, and the bureau that I worked in was, which was environmental services also created. And these are also welcome too, by the way, also created a building inspector program that was targeting community members, um, African-American and Latino uh, community members and teaching them the inspection field, working with our Bureau of Planning to try to help segue them into careers there. 
I just think about all the things that we that we built upon. And like I said, that was so welcome to do also by my director, the mayor and the commissioners as well. And so at the city of Seattle, I was an equity strategic advisor and really created different pathways into how do you how do you invite the community members into the city? You know, how do you create that engagement? So really building out their community engagement model as well. So diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of that is so important to me because one, I want to make sure that our students that go through Teen land in an environment where they thrive. For for sure. And, and and that's a great point. I think, you know, someone called you a, a trailblazer at our conference. I think it may have been Dennis Goulet um, <laughs> when he was introducing you. But it's true, right? I mean, you think about, you know, all the companies and, and governments now that are putting such an emphasis on this. And you said you were doing this 20 years ago when it probably oh. wasn't such a, you know, priority. Yeah, I was doing it a long time ago. And I will say that I was pretty edgy with the work that I did then. So I was kind of ahead of my time. So as many people embraced it, there was a lot that were afraid of it. And it wasn't until it wasn't until recently when there were so many things happening with the riots and all, then I had a lot of companies coming to me wanting to help with their equity work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do still do some work with a couple of organizations on on how do you create environments where everyone thrives. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Adina, in 2013, you were honored as a champion of change by President Obama. Tell us about that experience. Oh, my God. It was so surreal. I'm sitting here looking at the plaque in my as you speak <laughs> on that. And I felt that was one of my biggest honors because I was nominated by parents and some of our council members for that for that role. In fact, when I saw the email, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fake, you know, scam mail, you know. (laughs) And so they had to email me a second time and I saw the White House logo and I followed up on it. It was real. My gosh. But I remember standing outside of the White House and thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm going to be in there, (laughs) you know, being honored and all. And it was just, it was surreal. There were seven of us that were being honored as White House Champions of Change for Technology Inclusion. And with my program, the president created a program called My Brother's Keeper. Mm-hmm. And Iurban Teen was one of the organizations that they used to kind of model it from. So I was invited back a few more times to the White House because because of that. So I was wow. there a total of four times during oh his gosh. presidency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay, so... As we mentioned in our introduction, iUrbanTeen was this year's NACIO annual give back partner, and we proudly raised more than $49,000 for the program. <laughs> Can you talk about your partnership with NACIO and how you would hope to collaborate both with the association and state CIOs moving forward? You know, Amy, I am so excited. I think this, you know, I, th- things don't happen by happenstance. And for NACIO to find me and for me to find you, it just ties right into that iCivic program that, I, that I'm looking to build out, you know, and how do we get these communities more invested into city government, state government, you know, those type of things. And I see, I see Iurban Teen working with this organization in at that aspect of bringing this more to light and even to help out, to help flesh out that program and even allow, like how we did with the city of Portland, you know, allow our students to come up with innovative, you know, apps and, and different technologies that these city governments and state governments can use. Yeah, I love that. That's great. 
So besides iHerbantine, what else are you working on right now? It seems like you're a pretty busy person. I am. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I'm also a founding member of Black Women in STEM 2.0. And we just started that group about, oh, got two years ago. And we just had this past weekend, Friday and Saturday, our summit, and it was a hybrid. So we had a live session and virtual sessions for folks who were afraid to travel. And it was a huge success. Oh my gosh, it was, it was a huge success. And for that organization, it's basically getting women of color, black and brown women together to network, to add, how do you how do you learn how to advocate for yourselves? What does that career path look like in STEM? And then we have Irbentine is the youth partner to Black Women in STEM. So we also have a segment on the last day where we bring some of the girls in our program to help ideate what's the next best thing for a certain company. This year it was Alaska Airlines and Nintendo. And they were amazing. I'm also working on along with three other co-founders. So Wow. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, I, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. All right. Here at Nasio Voices, Dina, we like to recognize that we are all much more than our work. So we have a segment we call the lightning round, where we ask you some rapid fire questions about your life outside of the office or whatever the office looks like these days. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Love the enthusiasm. <laughs> Question number one, we've asked you a ton about, you know, everything you have going on work-wise. What do you like to do outside of work for fun? What do I like to do outside of work? Well, I, I will say at the top of my head, I love to travel. So I love to travel with my close friends and my sister, you know, as well, you know, to different places. I just came back from Boston. Uh, some of my friends, we went to Boston and then over to Portland, Maine, and then drove the Kankamangas Highway, in New Hampshire yeah. to see the changing of the leaves. And that was remarkable. I also have gone to Los Cabos this year. I went down to um, Las Vegas a couple of times. And now I'm getting ready to go to San Francisco. So wow. I love to travel. I like to get out of this place. And for me, it's kind of a sense of renewal. I come back. My staff doesn't like it, though, because I come back with all these new ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But for me, it, that's my getaway is, is that, is traveling. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And I know Amy and I have young kids between parental duties and the pandemic. Our traveling has been pretty limited these this last year and a half, unfortunately, but fantastic. And then obviously, New England foliage, you got to see it, you know, pretty much mm -hmm. in its peak, which is, which is great. Beautiful. All right. Second question. Who is your favorite historical figure? That one's easy. My favorite historical figure is Harriet Tubman. I look at her and the fearlessness that she had, you know, with having a vision for something and just walking through it, you know. You think about what she did then with doing the Underground Railroad and how fearless she was in following through on that and creating opportunities mm -hmm. for other people. Uh, that's what I like to follow is her lead on that. And I've always admired her. In fact, when I was at an event last year, year before last, actually, and it was you had to try to guess the sign that was on your back on who this person was because you didn't see it. But right. people were giving you clues and somebody had put Harriet Tubman on my back. Right. Wow. <laughs> I know. So I said, that's yeah, amazing. that's why I say things don't happen by happenstance. Yeah. yeah. 
For sure. All right. And so you mentioned a minute ago that you love to travel. So where is your favorite vacation location? Prague. I love Prague. I was asked to do a keynote there for a tech company. Um, there we had a diversity segment. And, and that was my first time going to Prague. And I fell in love with Prague. Um, definitely want to go back again and take my family. It's um, the whole vibe there. You know, and being a woman of color and traveling, you're kind of nervous on how am I going to be received? Mm-hmm. I felt so welcomed there. And in fact, if you go into the restaurants, into the boutiques, they're playing old school R&B music. And I'm <laughs> like, I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a large Cuban community there as well. The historic buildings, it is, uh, yeah, if I could live there even part time, I would. So Prague by far is my favorite. What a great answer, Dina. And I actually lived there for almost a year after college and taught you English did? there. Uh, one of my favorite places of all time, but I haven't been back in 13 years. So I need to go back. You need to go back. I know it's, it's such a magical city. You walk through that old town at night and, you know, see the castle on the hill. It is, it is beautiful. Yeah. And the clock, what's the name of that clock? Uh, the old town clock. The old town clock, but I thought it had another name. Probably a Czech name. (laughs) Yeah. I know. (laughs) Old town clock. Well, we'll go with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, I, I know it's like the astronomical clock, but yeah, I, forget, yeah. I forget I forget what it's called in, in Czech. My my Czech's a little rusty these days. but Man, but it's beautiful. Well, I can't wait we, to go back. Maybe Amy and I can get, you know, the Czech Republic Tourism Department to sponsor our podcast and then we could do a podcast there. Yeah. But then that means you got to have me over there to be the guest on the podcast. We would be more exactly. than happy. We would be more than happy to do that. <laughs> I spent a summer in um, Bratislava, Slovakia, so love that part of the world for sure. Yeah, it's It's so so beautiful. It is. It's so Well, Dina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It was very interesting hearing more from you, and we hope we can keep in touch. Oh, definitely. You'll see me again at the next conference. We look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks again for listening to Nacio Voices. NACIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. We'll be back in two weeks with an overview of our new publication with IBM and the Center for Digital Government, all about how states are viewing AI in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until then, have a safe and fun Halloween. Spooky. Spooky.